Amen, amen. Can we celebrate this weekend that God is good, that God is so good? Well, hey, we've all come about the understanding that God is good from different ways, for different persuasions, from different aspects. But a lot of us, maybe we grew up in church or around somebody who did, and you grew up hearing the song, Jesus loves me, this I know for the Testament. I should be leading worship, guys. I've been telling this for years, and they're holding me down out of jealousy. But either way, that's a different service, different sermon. But hey, can we really be sure that there was ever a man named Jesus? Well, 1,972 years ago, the Apostle Paul wrote the first book that we have in our New Testament, the letter to the Galatians. Now, you may be saying, Zach, wait, 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 but that's not the first book in my New Testament. Is, is mine broken? What about Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans? Well, Bible historians agree that the first letters written in the New Testament were composed to the book that we now have and know as Galatians. Now, Paul wrote this letter. Now, follow me. Paul wrote this letter during his first missionary journey. Just like faith promised, Paul would go all over the world where he could and he would launch churches. Now, this letter to the Galatians would have happened in his first missionary journey, which you could actually find in Acts chapters 13 and 14. That's if you're following in the pages of scripture. If you're following in the pages of history, he would have been at this time, he would have been in Antioch between the years of 48 and 49 AD after Jesus' death. Now, there's something fascinating in this letter that maybe you've skipped over to get to the good stuff in Galatians. In Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 and 12, it says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel that I preach to you is not from human origin. I did not receive it. That, that's an important phrase we'll talk about. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. Now, unlike all of us, no one had to teach Paul about Jesus. Paul saw Jesus. Paul saw Jesus risen from the dead. Now, in verse 13 of Galatians 1, Paul says, For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how I intensely persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. Paul says, guys, you know me. I hated the Jesus movement. I hated the church. He said that I fought them. I persecuted them. And Paul's even responsible for killing Christians. It talks about that in Acts 7. But Paul says, then I met Jesus. But here's the part that if we're not careful, we'll skip over. In Galatians 1, 18 and 19, Paul writes this. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas, that's Peter, and stayed with him for 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles. Those are Jesus's, those 12 disciples, right? He said, I saw none of them, only James, the Lord's brother or Jesus's brothers. Now, historians place Paul's encounter with Jesus on the Damascus Road, the resurrected Jesus, a year or two after Jesus' death and resurrection. So Paul says after he experienced Jesus, he went to a place called Arabah for three years. 
Then after those three years, he comes to Jerusalem and spends two weeks and a day, 15 days with Jesus's best friend, Peter, his top disciple. Remember the guy that Jesus said, upon this person, I'll build my church. He said, this is the guy that walked on water, right? One of Jesus's main guys and Jesus's half brother, James. Now, before we talk more about the meeting of those three very important individuals, let me just give you a side note. You may not know this, but there are people today, right, people who are not Christians, some might even say that they're anti-Christians, that teach, chill out, Siri, that teach the Bible all at universities all across the country. Now, the most famous atheist or agnostic professor of the New Testament is a guy named Dr. Bart Ehrman. But even Dr. Ehrman, who doesn't believe in God, agrees that what I'm about to tell you is one of the most powerful examples, one of the most powerful evidences of Jesus' historical personhood. This meeting would have happened in uh, 48 AD, and it would have happened between the Apostle Paul, who is an enemy of Jesus and the early Jesus movement, the church, Peter, a close personal friend, perhaps the best friend of Jesus, and James, the half-brother of Jesus. Now, what would have to happen for these three people to come together? A man and a movement's most violent enemy in Paul, a man's best friend in Peter, and a man's own brother in James. What must have happened to these guys? There's only one answer. They witnessed a miracle. They witnessed a resurrection. This weekend, what about you? What does your life reflect is the most true thing to you? What does your life reflect that you have witnessed? What does your life reflect is the foundation, the truth that you build on? God, we come before you this weekend and we give this time to you. God, this isn't about being right. God, this isn't about proving a point. This is about eternity. And I pray as we come into contact, God, there's, there's middle schoolers, high schoolers in here, there's senior adults in here, and we're gonna come into absolute face-to-face -face with your truth. And God, there's people in the room who don't believe in you, they're not Christians yet. There's people in the room who are Christians, but it's not where their firm foundation is. And I pray that today you would equip us and send us to win the world around us. In your precious name we pray, amen, amen. Well, hey, welcome back for another week as we look in the mirror and ask ourselves, did God really say? Now, if you're in a season of life where you're reflecting and looking in the mirror, and you're not sure who you are or maybe what you believe about the Bible or church or Jesus or eternity, you could not have picked a better weekend to join us. And actually, could I invite you to dinner? I know that may seem a little intimate, maybe a little odd, but we would love to invite you to dinner at six o'clock at all of our campuses is something we call Next Steps. And next steps is just to answer any questions you may have about church, about Jesus, about us, maybe even about you. Next steps is totally designed to help you discover your purpose. This may seem contrived, this not, may not seem authentic, but I promise you it is. Our passion is your purpose. 
We also hope that this weekend, our time together, that you will reflect on everything that you believe about Jesus. But also we hope that you would discover the truth about Jesus and why it matters to your everyday life. Hey, there's some truths that just don't matter in our everyday life. Like a couple years ago, there was a big argument, a big kerfuffle whether Pluto was a planet or not. And just to be totally honest with you, I've lost track of which one's true. I've talked about it too many services. But hey, whether it's a plan or not, that truth doesn't matter to your everyday life. It does not affect you. However, the truths that Jesus claimed should affect every moment of every day. So whether this is your first time or whether this is your 50th time, we want you to know that God loves you right where you're sitting, that God loves you right where you're listening, and that we believe that God proved this love through his son, Jesus, which is why at Faith Promise, we believe that there's a truth you can trust, and that truth is a person. And we believe that Jesus is that person, that truth you can trust for four reasons. One, because Jesus was a historical person. Two, because Jesus died for our sins. Three, because Jesus was buried and rose from the dead. And four, Jesus was seen by hundreds of eyewitnesses. Now, it, it, begs the answer, it begs the question, what if these things about Jesus are not true? Well, Apostle Paul, who wrote 13 books of the New Testament, he actually asked that question. He talks about that in 1 Corinthians. And he says, what if these claims about Jesus are not true? And I loved what he said. He says, mirror, mirror on the wall, we are to be pitied more than any people of all. Now, he didn't say the mirror, mirror part, but he did say, he did say, if the claims about Jesus are not true, then Christians should be more pitied than anyone on the planet. And that's because we would be people who are wasting our time, wasting our money, wasting our effort, living out something that isn't true, a fairy tale without a happy ending. But can I tell you, this may not seem like a big deal wherever you're at. Maybe you're in middle school or maybe you're just busy and this just doesn't seem like a big deal. Can I just speak from experience for a moment? The last couple of weeks, I've done a couple funerals and I've done a, quite a few in my ministry career. And hey, can I just tell you the claims that Jesus makes in eternity, they really matter to the person in the box. Not only that, but the, whenever I look out at the family and they're not paying attention to anything I have to say, but they're just staring at the person they care so much about, it matters to them then. And they could have lived their whole life thinking that they're just random matter. But when it comes to eternity and they're face to face with it, boy, it starts to matter. So what if, and you give God some praise. We're, we're, we're glad he gives us hope. He gives us hope. So what if these things are true about Jesus? Because if these things about Jesus are true, then there's nothing more important in our lives, then there's, there's nothing more important in the lives of the people around us, whether they're Christians today or not, than believing in and living for Jesus. I read a passage last week that I, I, it so impacted me. 2 Corinthians 5.10, that says there'll be a day where we stand before the judgment seat of Jesus and we'll give an account for the things we did do and the things that we did not do while here in the body. That's why it matters that this is true to you. This truth is where we need to be planted. Listen, this truth is where we make our stand. 
Listen, our one and only stand, not split between other things like stepping on, standing on this gospel of Jesus and I'm making a lot of money or standing on this gospel of Jesus and my kids' 47 sports activities, this gospel of Jesus and on what everybody else thinks about me, this gospel of Jesus and my political persuasion. No, biblically, this is where we make our stand. Listen, and this truth will help you hold firmly to your faith. Sadly, according to a recent survey, 22% of people did not believe or were unsure if Jesus was a real person who lived on earth. Now, here's good news for you. If you're here and you're not sure, is this just religion? Is this just a fairy tale? Well, hey, Jesus is mentioned by Jewish and Roman historians, and we can be confident about Jesus really at the same level that we're confident about Julius Caesar as a person. And here's why that matters. The Jews, it would have been better if Jesus wasn't true because they're waiting for a Messiah. And the Romans, they believed that Caesar was God. It had been better for them if Jesus wasn't real, but it was so clear that he was true and made an impact that they chronicled him in their history. So while it is agreed upon by Christian and non-Christian scholars that Jesus was a real person, real talk this weekend, that is the easiest of the four truths, not only to prove, but to believe and to assimilate into your life. Because you know what it matters if Julius Caesar was a real person? It does, it's about as, matters as much as Pluto. You know how much it matters if Jesus was a real person, if those other three, three truths aren't true? Just doesn't matter. But still, before we go forward, unlike Paul and many others, we did not get the privilege to see the resurrected Jesus. So we will have to do what Paul taught us to do in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, when he said, walk or take your stand by faith and not by sight. Even though we will offer proof today and give you substantial evidence, there still takes faith. So we know that Jesus was a historical person, but what about those other three truths that we wanna claim about Jesus this weekend? The first being that Jesus died for our sins. The second being that Jesus was buried and rose from the dead. And the third, that Jesus was seen by hundreds of eyewitnesses. Now, Paul talks about these truths. And what I love about using Paul is Paul was a follower of Jesus who had the same vision that we have here at Faith Promise, the same one we're committed to, which is to win the world by equipping Christ followers to win their world. That's what Paul was about. That's what we're about. But again, unlike Paul, Paul saw the resurrected Jesus, but he does make it clear that while our experience is going to be different, our response should be the same as every eyewitness who did see Jesus with their eyes. And we learned that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. There's a whole part of Paul's letter to the Corinthians that's all about the resurrection because this is the foundation of our faith. So we're gonna walk through a couple of verses of 1 Corinthians 15 and look at Paul as he outlines these truths, but also see how we should respond. In 1 Corinthians 15:1, Paul says, now brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel that I preached you, which 
you received. Remember I said that in Galatians 2, which you received and on which you take your stand. Remember he starts this chapter out that way and he's gonna end this chapter that way. Paul tells us this is important. This is worth remembering. This is worth reminding people. He says this is a big deal. This is what we as Christians, we take our one and only stand on. This is the core. But also I keep referencing that that, that uh, saying, which you received. The Greek word for which you received is parlambano, which is, it, it, it's, this, it's, this, um, it's this deal where a rabbi or a teacher hands something to the student and it becomes theirs. What Paul is saying, he's saying, hey, if you're a student, sixth through 12th grade, he's saying, hey, if you received your faith from a student pastor or from your parents or a grandparent, it's time for you to stand up on your faith. If you're an adult and you received your faith from a grandparent or, or from a parent, Paul is saying, hey, it is time for you to stand up on your faith. I just realized how good it'd be if I could like, I can't, either way, 1130 gets some special stuff. All right, so in, in verse two of 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, by this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I have preached to you, Otherwise, you have believed in vain. Remember, if this is not true, then we have believed in vain. This is what it says, if you hold firmly to it. This verse talks about a false or an unenduring faith. If the Corinthians or anybody at Faith Promise, if we are not holding firmly to this gospel, taking our stand on this gospel, it's not a saving faith. That's why it so matters that this is true. Church and the gospel is not something you do when you feel bad about what you did on the weekend. It's not something you do whenever you're just fighting for one. It is something you stand firmly on. This is why it so matters that it's true to you. In verse 13, Paul says, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. Paul said, hey, listen, listen, this is the first importance. This is the core. This is the foundation that you are taking your stand on. He says that Christ died for our sins. That's the first truth, that Christ died for our sins according to Scripture. Christ died for our sins according to Scripture. Listen, historically and biblically, there's no other reason offered why Jesus would have died on the cross other than for the sins of people. Now, for someone to say that they're gonna die for other sins makes that person a liar. They're trying to get something, a lunatic, just a crazy person, or it makes them Lord. It means their claims are true. Now, it's hard to believe that Jesus was or is a liar or a lunatic due both to his following and his reputation from a biblical and a historical perspective. But this is my favorite one. Paul says, according to scripture, that he was most likely pointing to Isaiah 53, 5, that says this, for he was pierced, whenever Jesus was crucified, he was pierced by a spear and he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that, was brought, that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed. Here's what's so special about that. That was written more than 700 years before Jesus' death on the cross. And that's only one of 300 prophecies that Jesus fulfilled with his life, his death, 
and his resurrection. It would be really hard, mathematically impossible for a liar or a lunatic to keep all that together. So we believe it is true that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Paul keeps on going in 1 Corinthians 15 and says that he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to scripture. Now, this claim is only in the Bible, right? I don't wanna lead you to believe there's a lot of secular scholars that believe that Jesus raised from the dead. That's not true. But for a moment, consider human nature. It would have been the best interest for the Roman government and for the Jewish religion if Jesus had not died and rose from the dead. Because listen, the, the Romans thought that Caesar was God. Jews thought the Messiah had not come yet, but Jesus was saying that he was God, that he was the Messiah. They actively tried to suppress and disprove this truth, but they could not without a body. A dead body that they point out and say, hey, he's not, he's not resurrected, he's right there, he's worm food, he's right here, he's in the grave. Or they say, no, he didn't raise him dead. Look, he's over here, he's barely breathing from us ripping his beard out and us beating all the skin off his back and crucifying him and him almost dying from asphyxiation. No, he's right there. They couldn't because that body wasn't available anymore. See, with not only that, but there were hundreds of witnesses walking around spreading the word of what they'd seen. Not only that, but it was very soon after this that the church exploded. And it's continuing to explode 2,000 years later. And it's built on this, I don't know if you know this, maybe you're new to church. It's the church of Jesus built on one premise. And that's the premise that Jesus died to pay for your sins and rose from the grave to put his, 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 rear, his foot in death's rear end, right? And, 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 and to finish that, that's why he did that. That's why the church exists. We believe it is true that Jesus was buried and rose from the dead. Now, one last truth that we said we wanted to cover in 1 Corinthians 15, it says, and he, that's Jesus, appeared to Cephas, that was Peter, and to the 12, those are his apostles, his, his friends, and after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time. Now, if I was gonna say I was gonna appear to people, I would just pick all people who were dead so you couldn't ask them, but this is true, so that's not what he did. Some of them who are still living and some who have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James, uh, then to all the apostles. Last of all, he appeared to me as one abnormally born. I mentioned earlier that for someone to die a terrible death for a lie, they would have to be a liar, trying to gain something for themselves. But what does Jesus gain? Dying, just to die. He'd have to be a lunatic, a crazy person, or he would have to be Lord. Now you can make an argument that Jesus was a crazy person, but that argument gets more and more challenging with every eyewitness that says, I saw him alive. He appeared to me with all of them. Now listen, it's wild to say, for someone to say, hey, I rose from the dead. It's even crazier to say, I rose from the dead and showed somebody. It's even crazier to say, I rose from the dead and I showed hundreds of people. But it is by far the craziest thing to say, I rose from the dead and I showed my brother. If you've got a brother, like I've got a brother, ain't no way your brother's gonna lie for you. Look, look at this beefcake I have to work with in a brother, right? <laughs> now listen, guys, this is a church, don't lust, okay? 
You may be saying, Zach, how does one get their neck thicker than their head? I don't know. <laughs> Zach, why would your mother let your hair look like that? I don't know. I look like the guy who ate Justin Timberlake, okay? <laughs> Moving on. But hey, listen. <laughs> Guys, we have to end spiritually. What, what must have happened for Jesus' brother James, for Jesus' enemy in Paul, and Jesus' best friend in Peter, not only to believe the truth about Jesus, but to die for the truth of Jesus. There's only one answer. They witnessed a miracle. There's only one answer. They witnessed a resurrection. What about you? What do you believe? What does your life reflect is the truest thing? What is, to you, what does your life reflect that you take your stand on? Paul knew this, this would be hard. He faced unbelievable persecution for living the truth and he begs us to believe what he saw on the Damascus road, which was Jesus risen from the dead. He ends this part on the resurrection, like I told you at the beginning, with taking a stand. In 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Paul says this, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm, let nothing move you. Always give yourself completely to the work of the Lord because you know that the labor for the Lord is not in vain. Paul knew and he begs you and me to believe that the only truth that will stand the test of eternity is Jesus. Church, we cannot move from our stand that Jesus is a savior. A relationship with Jesus is what our world needs, not just for their marriages and for their families and for their kids and their quality of life, but listen, for the eternity of their souls, what they need is the truth. What you need is the truth of Jesus. When you believe that, truth, that there's a truth you can trust and that truth is a person, the person of Jesus, then you best take your stand on the gospel and the truth of Jesus. Going forward, what about you? What do you believe? What's the truth about Jesus? Is he a liar? Is he a lunatic? Is he your Lord? God, we love you. I'm desperate for you to move. We have students in the room who are realized for the first time that those videos they see on TikTok or Instagram or that they're not all true, that some of these things about Jesus, they, hey, this is not just something made up, this is for real. We have believers in the room that, gosh, they're just coming into a, a encounter that they have not built their life on the one thing that is the foundation, the truth of Jesus. Transform us today. God, send us today to win the world around us. In your precious name we pray, amen.